Kristen and Robert Lopez won an Academy Award in 2014 for writing the hit song, Let It Go. Anybody got a small child in your house that has watched the movie Frozen more than a thousand times? On more than a thousand times. We actually, now with four kids, uh, every little bit it just gets on repeat. So now our two-year-old Solomon uh, is all about Frozen. Ozen, Daddy, Ozen, ice, ice, Daddy, ice. And so we are all into Let It Go again. Uh, if you are not a parent of a small child, you do not understand the power of Let It Go. Uh, we have heard that song so many times around our house. And I, I read this story the other day that um, this couple, uh, Kristen and Robert Lopez, wrote this song. They actually won an Academy Award for the song in the year 2014. It sold 10 million copies. The song, the single, Let It Go, sold 10 million copies. And uh, you can YouTube the clip of this couple accepting their Academy Award. It's pretty electric and incredible. Uh, they're a fun, fun couple. But everybody knows that they won an Academy Award in 2014. What people do not know is that Let It Go was the 18th track that they offered or proposed to Disney for the film. Their first 17 songs that they had pitched to the film had been rejected. And Let It Go was number 18. Number 18. And uh, when you ask Kristen and Robert, like, how, how have you done it? How have you achieved so much success? How, how do you write such incredible songs? I love their answer. It's a mar married couple. And, and when they're asked, how do you do it? I love their answer. Their answer is, first of all, we have to find a babysitter. I love that. I love that. I love that answer because it reminds me that success is not sexy, it's sweaty. I, 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 it reminds me that, that, um, that success is not glamorous, it's gritty. You don't accomplish great things because you get lucky. You accomplish great things because you keep working when it would be easier to quit. Some people would pitch a second song or a third song, maybe a fourth or fifth song if they got inspired, but seven songs rejected, but number 18 was the hit. This is a series, Chase the Lion. This is a series about courage. It's a series about fighting for the things in life that truly matter. A series about laying hold of, of a dream. And, and during this series, we're looking at three stories from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. And uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is a chapter about David's mighty men. David's mighty men. These guys were no joke. They got the name David's mighty men because these were some truly mighty men. They were so courageous, so brave that God gave them their own chapter in the Bible with stories of incredible accomplishments and my prayer for you, my prayer for us during this series is that, is that we'll be challenged to fight. We'll be challenged to fight for our faith, challenged to fight for our family, challenged to fight for purity and integrity. And I'm talking to everyone in this series. This series is for everyone. I believe that there's something in it for all of us to learn, all, for all of us to be challenged. But I said last week, I, I'm specifically in these three weeks talking to the men in the room. Are there any men in the room? 
talking to the men in the room to challenge you today because this is not some prissy, sissy, little frou-frou, emotional stuff we're talking about. These are mighty men doing incredibly mighty things for their king and also for God. And my prayer for you, for all of us, but especially for you men, my prayer for you is that you'll dream again. My prayer for you is that you'll fight again. My prayer for you is that you will aggressively attack life. You'll put the Xbox up. You'll put the phone up. You'll, you'll, you'll decide to, to fight again. You'll come out of the basement man cave. You'll, you'll decide to fight for your marriage again, to fight for your kids, to fight for a dream, a career, a faith that means something. And so last week, we talked about having a dream or a cause worth fighting for, a dream or a cause worth fighting for. And um, we looked at the, the accomplishments of a, of a guy, we called him Josh, his name is Joshua Beam. And 2 Samuel 23 tells us that he killed 800 enemy warriors with a single spear. Like that's how bad that dude was. 800 enemy warriors with a single spear. And we just challenged you and asked the question, Last week, what, what, what dream do you need to be fighting for? What do you have in your life that's worth fighting for? And maybe you feel like the odds are insurmountable, 800 to one type odds. But you know how you kill 800 enemy warriors? You kill them one at a time. So now what you're facing in your life, no matter how big the fight is, come on, we're gonna do it one at a time. We're gonna win today. We're gonna show up today. We're gonna do what we have to do today. And last week we challenged you. We asked everyone when you left to pick up a dog tag on the way out. We still have a few of those left. If you didn't get one of those, you can get one on the way out. But we challenged you to grab one of these dog tags and write down on it what it is that you're fighting for in your life. What are you fighting for? What's waking you up in the morning? What, what is keeping you up at night? What is on your heart? What dream has God put in your heart? What prayer are you praying? What are you fighting for. And so that was last week. And this week, we're going to move along a little bit in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And we're going to talk about a guy named Eleazar. Everybody say Eleazar. Eleazar uh, was the son of a man named Dodai. So you know he got picked on as a kid, right? Because his dad was named Dodai. His name was Eleazar. And 2 Samuel chapter 23 verse 9 says that Next to him, talking about Jashabim, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Anybody cold in the room today? You got your jacket on, you're cold? He'll be on next week. We run on a boiler system. But anyway, so, so they're fighting this battle. The enemy, I mean, the, the, his army retreats. Other translations tell us that David, King David and Eleazar stand their ground when everyone else retreats. And together, the two of them defeat the entire enemy. And Eleazar keeps fighting until he can't fight any longer because his sword got stuck to his hand. I mean, this is not some guy who is just messing around. This is a mighty 
mighty warrior. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned, everybody who ran away, they returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Some other translations would say only to collect the, the bounty, the treasure. So they left. After the battle, they came back wanting to collect on everything that, uh, that they could get. I love this image of King David and Eleazar taunting their enemies, taunting their enemies. I told you earlier that, that, uh, that his dad's name was Dodai. So Eleazar probably grew up getting made fun of a little bit. His dad sounds like an interesting character. And, 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 and Eleazar had this edge to him. Have you ever had one of those friends that... Um, even though they were smaller than everyone else, they just ran their mouth all the time. You ever had one of those friends? You ever had one of those friends? Yeah. Um, no matter where you are or what you're doing, they always seem to be picking a fight. They're always like aggressive with people, wanting to get up in somebody's face, always wanting to, to, to start something or to, to get something going. I played basketball in high school growing up in Atlanta and I've always been one of the smallest guys on the court, uh, but I've always been one of the loudest guys on the court. <laughs> always running my mouth. I know that's hard for some of you to believe that I would run my mouth, but it's true. And um, I was the guy who never intended to ever fight. I was never going to fight you, but I was going to act like I was willing to fight you. So I'm the guy who's having his friends hold him back. And even if they're not holding me back, I'm kind of grabbing them to hold me back. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you better be glad I can't get to you. You know, I'm running my mouth. I'm talking about their mom. I'm talking about their game, whatever it is. And they're wanting to fight. I'm never going to fight them because I'm going to get killed. But I make it look like I'm, I'm willing to fight them. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us, but that's kind of how I picture Eleazar. I, I kind of picture Eleazar, the son of Dodai, as this like five foot nothing, like, you know, maybe a little chubby kid. I don't know. Like just, just filled with, with just vinegar, just filled with like just some nasty fight in him, running his mouth, jawing off at everybody, right? Now, listen, no doubt there are people who run their mouth and can't back it up, but that's not who Eleazar was. The reason that David and Eleazar taunting their enemies that day was because they were not afraid to back it up. They had won plenty of battles before this day, and they weren't afraid of the Philistines. Remember, David destroyed uh, the, the Goliath, who was a Philistine, the, the giant. He was not afraid of the Philistines, and confident warriors taunt their enemies. I love that. The Eleazar and David were not standing there afraid and hoping everything's going to be okay. They're out there jawing. They're out there running their mouth because they're confident. They know what they can do. They know who's on their side. They are confident. You know, there's a difference in your life and there's a difference in my life between hoping that God will answer a prayer and being confident that God will answer a prayer. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. That faith is not just hoping, but faith is having confidence in what you're hoping for. I love that idea. So what would it look like in your life if instead of being afraid of your enemy, instead of being afraid of the challenges that are going to come against you and your dream, you and your prayer, you and your faith, what would it look like if you began to taunt your enemy? I love that. 
The Bible says that our enemy is a roaring lion. I've always found it interesting that he's described as a roaring lion. Doesn't say anything about his bite. He, he's, he's all bark, no bite. He just wants you to be afraid. He wants to roar loud enough to get you afraid, to make you fearful about what's happened. But what would happen if instead of being afraid, you began to have confidence about your dream, about your prayer, about the God that's on your side? Like, like Eleazar, the son of Dodai, and King David, I believe that we taunt our enemy when we have faith. When we, when we go ahead and in faith, act like God has already answered our prayer. Like he's already started working on all of the things that need to happen for our dream. I read a story recently about a missionary in Africa. He was praying for uh, an SUV. He needed an SUV to be able to transport um, children uh, from a village to the church and he didn't have a vehicle that was uh, strong enough or big enough, and so he decided uh, he needed an SUV. He didn't have any money, so he began to pray that God would provide an SUV for this ministry that he was trying to get going. But this missionary decided that it wasn't enough to just pray. This missionary decided that he was going to taunt the enemy. He wasn't just going to hope that he got an SUV. He was confident that he would get an SUV, and so he decided to taunt his enemy. And so every Saturday morning, he would gather together all of the supplies that he needed to wash his SUV, even though he didn't have it yet. And he would go out in his driveway, and he would get the soap and the water, and he would begin to wash his imaginary SUV that he hadn't received yet, just practicing up for when he knew he would get it. His neighbors would gather around his house and stare at this man washing an invisible car. But that's what you do when you're confident. You taunt the enemy. There's a preacher named Reggie Dabbs who's a friend of mine. He, he speaks all over the world now, but 20 plus years ago, he was an unknown youth pastor in Florida. He's pastoring about 20 students. And Reggie knew that God had bigger plans for his life that God had called him to have influence really across the world and to speak nationally and internationally. But his current reality was 20 students in the youth ministry. And so Reggie kept praying, but he didn't just pray. He taunted his enemy. He didn't just hope that it would come together. He was confident that God was up to something, working on something. And so Reggie decided that he was going to taunt the enemy. So he would load up a few kids every now and then, and they would drive down to the local airport. This was back before 9-11 when you could walk in to the gates. And so he would take the students down to the airport, and they would wait outside for him. And he would walk into the airport, and he would go and find different gates, different times he would visit the airport. He would go to the gate coming in from Los Angeles. Or he would go to the gate coming in from New York or go to the gate coming in from Sydney, Australia. And he would walk up to the gate and he would turn around and he would walk back out of the airport. And when he walked out of the doors of the airport, those students would have huge signs that say, welcome home, Reggie. Welcome back, Reggie. When Reggie would get in the car, they'd say, Reggie, tell us about how God used you in Los Angeles this weekend. Tell us about what happened while you were in New York because he was confident. He wasn't just hoping. He wasn't afraid that it would never happen. He was confident, and so he had no problem taunting his enemy. Recently, I've begun walking around the Kmart down there on Outer Loop. 
And I'm sure the security guards are wondering who this strange man is who never buys anything but just constantly walks around the store. But I began to walk around the Kmart a few weeks ago. And I just started praying in different sections of the Kmart. Go to the back left corner. I'm not an architect, but I just go to the back left corner and I stand there and act like I'm looking at clothes, but it's like the kids department anyway. And so I'm just standing there and I've just been praying prayers like, God, thank you for the thousands of souls who are gonna be saved in this auditorium right here. I walk over to another section where, man, it would be cool to have some kids' classrooms. And I say, God, thank you so much for the hundreds and thousands of children who are gonna find out that you love them and that you created them and that they are beautiful in your sight. Thank you for the children who are gonna find faith in you right here. I walk over to a section where I think it would be incredible and I'm believing and and confident that God's going to provide where we can store uh, supplies for people who are in need. And I begin to just thank God. God, thank you for the thousands of people who we're going to be able to feed and, and give resources to. Because I'm not just hoping that God is going to provide a way. I'm so confident that God is going to provide a way that I've decided instead of just standing back being afraid of all the things that don't make sense that have to add up, I've just decided I'm going to go ahead and taunt the enemy a little bit. Maybe you need to stop crying and start taunting the enemy a little bit in your life. Instead of, instead of hoping your son stops using drugs, what if you went into his room when he was at school and started taunting the enemy, walking around his bedroom and just praying for him and thanking God that he's going to be a mighty man of God and thanking God that he's a leader and he's not a follower and thanking God that every time he smokes weed, he's miserable and he, he don't like it anymore and, and, and just praying that every time he tries to do something bad, the cops pull around the corner. I mean, you just taunting the enemy and just knowing that God's got some incredible plans for him. You're not just hoping he gets his junk together. You know he's going to get his junk together. So you're going to go ahead and jaw at the enemy a little bit. What if instead of hoping that your marriage makes it, why not go online and go ahead and print out a picture of that tropical destination that you're going to go to on your 25th wedding anniversary and just go ahead and frame it up and put it wherever in the house you guys have most of your fights and just go ahead and jaw a little bit at the enemy. God, thank you that, that you have given me this incredible spouse that's a gift to me that's going to allow us to, to, to be a strong couple and to be great parents and and that you're going to use us not to just survive but to minister to other couples who have been through what we've been through. God, thank you for giving us the the ability and the finances to be able to take that trip to Hawaii, God. We're just so grateful that you would give us the chance to to go to Tahiti, God. We're just so uh we're just we're just glad we're going to get to go, God, on our 25th wedding anniversary. Because you're jawing at the enemy a little bit. What about going ahead and writing out that check for the amount of money that you want to give one day, but there's no way possible you could give it right now? Just go ahead and write out the check and frame it up and put it on the wall somewhere. God, thank you so much that you've given me the ability to write a $10,000 check to missions. God, thank you that that you give me the chance. I don't know why you gave me the chance, God, but thank you that you give me the opportunity to write a $100,000 check to help my church build a building. God, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And just go ahead and hang it up there. Just go ahead and give the enemy some bulletin board material, but you don't care because you're confident and you don't mind jawing at the enemy just a little bit. Why don't you go ahead and start wearing a suit to work, even if you don't have a great job yet? 
Just go ahead and start wearing a suit to work because you know it's not a matter of if God is going to help that dream come true. It's just a matter of when. And so you're not gonna pout or cry anymore about what's not going your way. You're gonna go ahead and dress the part and kind of just strut and have a little bit of swagger knowing that you're going to win the battle. There's no reason to be afraid. Faith is being confident that what you hope for is actually going to happen. So it's not even really the point of the message. I just wanted to just encourage you today to just go ahead and taunt the enemy a little bit. Not to be afraid of the devil. Not to be afraid of the enemy. He just wants you to be afraid. But go after that dream. Keep praying that prayer. Keep expecting that miracle. And just go ahead and start acting and celebrating and rejoicing that God has already done it. So let's get going. So after Eleazar and David taunt the enemy, the Bible says that their army, the army of Israel, leaves. I mean, like, like so, so you've got this, this huge army, Israel, going against the Philistines. And maybe David turned around and said, hey, listen, you know, this is going to be a tough battle. Anybody who wants to go can go, expecting that every man will follow David into battle. And he gives them the chance. And so they just take it and leave. Everyone is gone. But Eleazar and David, they could have left too. No problem in retreating. But you don't get the title mighty man by running when everybody else runs. You don't get to become one of David's mighty men because you went and hid when there was a battle to fight. And so David And Eleazar, stand their ground to against whoever. And they defeat the enemy. So here's my question for you today. Last week, I asked you, what battle do you need to fight? My question today is, how long are you willing to fight? How long are you willing to pray? How many times are you willing to fail? How long are you willing to stand your ground to win your battle. There's a direct connection between the size of your dream and the time it will take you to realize it. If I've learned anything about serving God over the last 16, 17 years, I've I've learned that the big prayers and the big dreams are almost always harder than I think they will be and almost always take longer than I think they will. And so if you don't have the kind of commitment, passion, Chutzpah, to grab the sword and fight until it freezes to your hand. You may not have what it takes to see the dream come to reality. Because when everyone else walks away and when everyone else retreats and when everyone else comes up with a reason why it's easier to just let it go, mighty men fight. Mighty men stand their ground. I love this quote from actor Will Smith. He said, I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. I love that. He says, I will not be outworked. You may be more talented than me. You may be smarter than me. But if we get on a treadmill together, you are going to get off first or I'm going to die. That's hand freezing to the sword type stuff. It takes that kind of faith that kind of determination and intensity to stand your ground and not give up or not give in when everyone else is retreating. So what ground do you need to stand today? 
What ground do you need to stand when it feels like everyone else around you is retreating? Maybe for you today, it's, it, it's, it's standing your ground for purity. When it feels like everyone else in society and everything else in society says, just take what you want, have what you want, sleep with who you want, be who you want, feel how you want. But you know there's something in your heart, there's something that won't let you embrace that because you know that God has called you to more. You know that God has created you to to, to give yourself to, to one person. You know that God has created you to have a home the way that he designed the home to be. And yeah, everybody else has retreated. Yeah, and everybody else has given in. And yeah, your friends have decided it's not worth it anymore and they're just kind of taking whatever they can get whenever they can get it. But there's something in you that just feels, it just that unsettles you. You're not okay with that. But you're not sure how much longer you can stand your ground. You're not sure how much longer you can wait for Mr. Right instead of Mr. Right now or Mrs. So maybe the battle that you need to fight and the ground that you need to stand today is for purity. To to be the man or the woman of God, to make the hard decision, to be, to have the integrity and to be who you need to be, who God has called you to be when you're lonely or when it would be easier to just do what everybody else is doing. Maybe today the battle that you need to fight and the ground that you need to stand is for integrity. Seems like everyone around you is getting ahead and they don't have the principles or the integrity that you're trying to have. It's easier just to tell a little bit of lies or it's easier to just kind of cut a corner or to, to, you know, tell your boss a certain thing or whatever it is, whatever it is in your life where you're looking at everybody else and it feels like they're getting ahead, doing it the wrong way and you're falling behind doing it the right way. And you're saying, Jason, everybody else has retreated. Nobody does it anymore like that. That's so old-fashioned, Jason. Like, everybody does this. But you know in your heart of hearts that God has called you to more. So you want to stand your ground. Maybe you're a student. And you say, Jason, I'm not kidding. Everybody cheats in school. Everybody. Like, everybody cheats. But something in you doesn't feel right about that. There's something in you that says, you know what, it's not okay to do that. And yeah, it's easier. And yeah, all my friends are doing it. And yeah, my teacher even knows and doesn't even say anything. But, but I, I just know that I'm called to more. I know that I'm meant to be more. And so I'm go- I got to stand my ground. I may not survive. Maybe I don't get ahead. Maybe I don't get into the college I want to get into. But you know what? I've got to stand my ground. Maybe it's faith. Maybe the circle of friends you run in or the people that you hang with, maybe, maybe they're abandoning their faith and they're coming up with all these clever reasons to tell you God's not real or the, you know, the church is full of hypocrites or whatever it is. And, and you, you feel this tension inside of you because you want to believe, you want to have faith, you want a relationship with Jesus. But you got to admit some of their arguments are pretty legit and you've had bad experiences too. But you know in your heart of hearts, you got to stand your ground because you know God's got something great for you. You know that there's something that that God is calling you to and you want to have that faith. Maybe it's sobriety. 
Maybe everyone around you has retreated and they've just said, you know what, I can't be clean. I can't do it. It's not even totally wrong anyway. I can control it. But you know in your heart of hearts that's not true. And you don't know if you can keep standing your ground when the enemy's coming against you and you feel so outnumbered. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin or a temptation that, that you want to, to give into. And, and you're trying to stand your ground and you just don't know if you can do it because you look at it and you say, Jason, if I do it God's way, it's going to mean, you know, a, a lonely battle for me for the rest of my life. But you know what God has called you to, to more. And yeah, it's going to be a long fight and it's going to be a long battle, but you know that that's the battle you're supposed to fight. And if everybody else runs away and if everybody else gives up, you can't do it. How long are you willing to fight for your marriage? One more fight, you're out of there? One more argument, you're gone? One more time where they let you down? One more time where they disappoint you? Or, or, maybe, maybe, or maybe God has called you to hire, to more. Yeah, all your friends are getting divorced. Yeah, your boyfriends or your girlfriends are telling you, you know what, uh, they're not worth it. They're a loser, let them go. I got divorced, I'm so much happier now. But you know in your heart of hearts, God's called you to something more than that. Are you willing to stand your ground? You say, Jason, I've been standing my ground. It's not getting any better. How long are you willing to fight? How long are you willing to fight? We could keep giving examples. All of us know that battle that we need to fight, that, that thing that we want to walk away from, but we just can't do it. Eleazar knew that. He kept fighting until his hand froze to the sword. That's commitment. That's day in, day out, showing up, praying, working, serving. Until one day you have a hit song and everybody thinks you're a genius and you say, well, let's take number 18. Pablo Casals is considered to be one of the greatest cellists ever to draw the bow. He actually played for Queen Victoria when he was 22 years old, but he also played for President Kennedy when he was 86 years old. And Casals lived to the age of 96 and he was still practicing three hours a day at the age of 96. And when they asked Pablo why he was still practicing three hours a day at the age of 96, he said, I'm beginning to notice some improvement. <laughs> That's showing up. That's fighting till your hand freezes to the sword. That's standing your ground when it feels like it would be easier to quit, leave, give up, go away, throw in the towel. But you know God has called you to something more, a battle to fight, a dream to go after, a prayer to keep praying. I just want to end by pointing out one more thing. The Bible says that the army, Eleazar's army and David's army showed back up after the battle was over to collect the treasure. And the Bible said, like the Bible doesn't say that Eleazar stopped them or David stopped them. Like they got to collect the treasure. 
And it's probably true in your life that there are people who are gonna show back up or who are gonna take credit for something and they didn't fight like you fought or you know, somebody's gonna have an opinion about you or show back up and, and they may, you know, who knows? Who knows what's gonna happen with that? But, but here's my point is that all of those soldiers may have showed back up that day and picked up treasure and they may have had some gold in their house or hanging in their living room or whatever, but they never felt what Eleazar felt about that day. They never appreciated the victory in that battle the way that Eleazar appreciated the victory in that battle because he had the scars to prove that he was there and when everybody else left, he stayed. So what ground do you need to stand today? What ground do you need to stand? Don't quit. Keep fighting for your dream. Keep praying for your miracle. Keep going to your meetings. Keep going to marriage counseling. Keep attending class. Keep coming to church. Keep tithing. Keep going to work. God is going to give you a mighty victory. I don't know when, but it's not a matter of if. He's going to give you a mighty victory. Let's pray.